Well, good morning. It is a bit difficult to know how to respond in such an unprecedented situation. Over the next few days and weeks, we'll be in communication about how our plans might change. As you know, this is a fluid situation. I think every post I've seen, every email I've received has included those words, fluid situation. And it's true. Uh, but hopefully you're able to tune in to our YouTube here and hopefully you're able to gather with your own small group or some other families. And if you are gathered, we would love to, to see a picture of your gathering. You could snap a picture and send it to us and we'd love to share those over the next few weeks. That's a good way for us to keep encouraging each other as we are the church scattered even on Sunday mornings. And as we all learn what it means to be homeschoolers over the next few weeks, we also have a great opportunity we have a chance to invite our neighbors into our lives, neighbors who might never darken the door of a church building, might be willing to come to our living room and be exposed to the gospel in that way. And, and each of us is in a different place related to, to fear or this is all a big overreaction. I know there are some of us who are in different places on that spectrum. And the Bible tells us that we should gather together, but it also teaches us that, that we should honor those in authority over us, like our government. And God's Word teaches us over and over that we are to do everything we can to help the helpless. Even if we're healthy, it seems silly to some people, but if giving something up means helping our community, then that's what we'll do. And I think in this time, we should live by a very simple principle. I borrowed this from a pastor friend of mine, but I think it fits the situations very, very well. We want to first wash our hands and then wash our feet. Let me explain what that means. First, we want to wash our hands, literally, of course, but we also want to be wise. We want to be good community members. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a medical professional, so I'm not going to give you medical advice, but I will encourage you to take care of yourself and to think of others. That's what Jesus would do, thinking of others. So we're going to do that. And I know that what the enemy intends for evil, God intends for good. Even this ban on large gatherings is something that God can use for good. I'm even more confident than ever that God wants us to reach out and impact the 57,000 people in our valley with no exposure to the gospel. Now we've got a great chance to wash our feet, to, to, to reach out. In fact, we have no choice because we're not gathered together. We have to be out in the community serving these kinds of things. You know, we say sometimes that the church is not a building. It's a gathering of people, of Jesus followers. Well, now we get to see for sure the truth of that. When we can't meet in our building, we'll see how the church will really show up in our valley. And so with that in mind, let me just offer a couple of things you can pray about. These are just some thoughts that have occurred to me. Let me encourage us to pray for single working parents. As kids are not in schools, that puts a special burden on single parents who still have to work. And I'd ask you to pray about how you and how we might be able to help. Also, uh, there are students who depend upon the food they get at school in order to make it through each day. I know our local schools have some plans for those kids, but maybe there's a way we can respond there too. I'm not sure. Finally, one other thing that I want you to pray about is our friends over at Mission Church. We've partnered with them in various ways over the years, and since they normally meet at Sharpstein Elementary, they're in a unique, challenging spot right now. We've reached out to them to see how we can help them continue to advance the gospel in our valley, but I'd encourage you to pray for them too. Finally, I'm reminded of the first Sunday after 9-11. It seemed like everybody in the country went to church that Sunday. 
in a moment of crisis in our country, everybody was looking for hope and for answers. Everybody was looking for justice and for mercy. Pastor Tim Keller shares that on that Sunday, he began a study in the book of Jonah, just the same as we're in today, a book that's all about God's justice and mercy, like we talked about last week. It was a fitting message at that time in our country, and I think it's a fitting message for us today. So let's begin our time in Jonah, and let me start with a question. Have you ever had a near-death experience? I hope not, but I have. Many years ago when I was in graduate school, my wife and I lived in an apartment that was just behind a grocery store. We would go to the store to do our shopping. We usually ended up parking in the back because it was a lot easier for us to get there. Well, the back parking lot was also where the employees of the store would park. And as it turns out, we had a little red Ford Mustang, and one of the employees also had a red Ford Mustang. So those details are important. Employee parking lot, same car as one of the employees. All right, keep, keep those in your mind. So one night, lay, maybe 10 o'clock or so, I had to run to the store for something. I don't remember what it was. So I pull in that back parking lot, and as I get out of the car, I feel this thing poke me in the back. And this voice says, give me all your money. And I had two thoughts. One, I don't have any money. And two, this is how I'm going to die. So I put my hands up slowly. I said, I don't want any trouble. And I started to slowly turn around. Well, I got like halfway around, and this guy behind me realized something. He realized that me, getting out of my red Ford Mustang, was not his friend who worked at the grocery store. He was trying to be funny, play a joke on his friend. He put his finger in my back thinking that I was his buddy who worked at the store. Well, he was so embarrassed at his mistake. I was so relieved that I was not going to die in a grocery store parking lot that we both just started laughing and we kind of fell into a hug together. That The relief was that tangible. Well, this morning we're continuing on our study of the book of Jonah and we get to experience something of that same kind of relief that Jonah feels. When we ended chapter 1 last week, we saw Jonah sacrifice himself for the sake of the sailors he was in a boat with. That happens at the end of Jonah chapter 1. In case you weren't here last week or you missed seeing our, our Facebook broadcast, the story of Jonah starts off with God's command to Jonah the prophet. He tells Jonah to get up and go to Nineveh, the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrians were the enemies of God's people. They were evil to the core. And Jonah decides they don't need the message of God's mercy. So instead of getting up to go, he gets up to flee. He gets on a boat going in the opposite direction, but he quickly learns that God is not easily ignored. God sends a fierce storm on the boat. The sailors are all scared for their lives. They finally figure out that Jonah's disobedience is the reason for this terrible storm. So Jonah tells them and if they throw him overboard, they'll be saved. Sacrifice his life for theirs. And they do. See, Jonah would rather die than bring the message of God's mercy to the Assyrians. But again, God is not easily ignored. He doesn't die. God shows mercy even to Jonah by sparing his life. God rescues Jonah. God shows mercy to him by sending a fish to swallow Jonah. So Jonah's not drowned, but he's rescued by God. And that act of mercy brings to mind a key idea of the book. It's not a story about a fish. It's not a story even just about Jonah, the reluctant prophet. It's ultimately a story about God. It's a story that highlights God's perfect justice and his perfect mercy. Uh, we said last week, God is both fully just and fully merciful. It's hard to understand how God can be both of those things in full at the same time, but he is. That's why he's God and we're not. He's bigger 
better than us, better than we can even imagine. And it's that tension, that tension between God's justice, giving people what they deserve, and God's mercy, giving us more than we deserve, that's at the heart of this book. That's what we want to explore as we work through the book. So if you have a Bible with you, I'd encourage you to open it up to Jonah. We're going to look at chapter 2 today. And Jonah is a small book, so it's kind of hard to find, but it's right between the books of Obadiah and Micah, so I'm sure that helps. Uh, I had a person come to me after the services last week, and he asked a great question. Is this storm in Jonah is raging? Jonah realizes that he's to blame for the storm. He understands that God has sent the storm because he didn't go to Nineveh like God asked. And so the question is, why would Jonah not simply say, hey, if we turn this boat around, take me towards Nineveh, this storm will calm down, right? If Jonah knew that his disobedience caused the storm, why wouldn't he just obey? Well, I think the reason is that he wasn't ready to do that. Jonah still hadn't gotten to that place of obedience. Jonah still had to change and he chose death over obedience. But when God spared his life, Jonah used that moment to start to make the change he needed. That was his near-death moment. He spent that time, those three days and nights, praying to God from inside that fish. And Jonah chapter 2 is basically that prayer of Jonah. And in this prayer, Jonah responds to these two qualities of God, his justice and his mercy. And so as we examine this prayer, we're going to learn more about God's justice and mercy, but we're also going to see how we should respond. So let's begin by just reading the chapter. It's short. It's only 10 verses, so we're going to read it all, and then we'll break it into some parts. So Jonah chapter 2. Jonah prayed to Yahweh his God from the belly of the fish. I called to Yahweh in my distress, and he answered me, he says. I cried out for help from deep inside Sheol, you heard my voice. Sheol's the place of the dead. When you threw me into the depths, into the heart of the seas, the current overcame me. All your breakers, all your billows swept over me. And I said, I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look once more toward your holy temple. The water engulfed me up to the neck, though the watery depths overcame me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. I sank to the foundations of the mountains. The earth's gates shut behind me forever. Then you raised my life from the pit, Yahweh, my God. As my life was fading away, I remembered Yahweh, and my prayer came to you, to your holy temple. Those who cherish worthless idols abandon their faithful love. But as for me, I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. I will fulfill what I have vowed. Salvation belongs to Yahweh. Then Yahweh commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. So verse 1 tells us Jonah prayed to God. In, the, in this prayer, Jonah prays back to God these two qualities, his perfect justice and his perfect mercy. And he starts with justice. Let's look again at those first few verses. Start in verse 3. When you threw me into the depths, into the heart of the seas, the current overcame me. All your breakers, all your billows swept over me, and I said, I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look once more toward your holy temple. The water engulfed me up to the neck, the watery depths overcame me, seaweed was wrapped around my head, I sank to the foundations of the mountains, the earth's gates shut behind me forever. So Jonah understands his own disobedience has earned him death. 
He knows what he deserves. He deserves God's justice. And I think it's helpful for us to understand when we say justice, what we're really talking about. Because that word justice gets tossed around a lot. It gets used in a lot of different ways. In a strictly philosophical sense, there's all kinds of distinctions. Things like corrective justice, which is the kind of situation where if someone steals from you, Justice demands that they have to pay for what was stolen, either by giving it back or paying the time in jail, that kind of a thing. So that's one kind of thing we hear about when we think about the word justice. Another thing we hear about a lot is, is procedural justice. That's the kind of situation where uh, a certain set of procedures or regulations are followed, and if they're followed, there will be justice. So like, for example, if everybody follows the law, if that would ever happen, then there would be justice in the world. That's the idea. That's sometimes what we think of when we think of justice. Another way we think of it is what we call comparative justice. We look at what one person has and we think, oh, they have more than this other person. That's not fair. There's no justice there. Sometimes we think of justice in that way. But one thing that's very important to understand, justice is, the, is what God does. It's important because God wants us as his followers to be people of justice, people who promote justice in the world. But we don't want to promote false ideas about justice. We need to make sure we have the right sense of justice. The theologian Wayne Grudem says justice comes from God, and he says God always acts in accordance with what's right. So whatever God does is right because God is himself the final standard of what's right. That's what he says. So the world knows what justice is only because God has chosen to reveal it to us. He reveals it to us in part through his word, the Bible, and he reveals justice to us in part through the way he acts towards the world. And that's what Jonah is learning. I don't know how long Jonah sat inside this fish before he started to put all the uh, pieces together, but hopefully it was not very long. I think we have this image of Jonah inside the fish, something like the Pinocchio movie, where Jonah's swimming around on a plank of wood with a kerosene lamp, reading while he waits for something to happen. I think his situation was just a bit more dramatic than that, a lot more harrowing, a near-death experience. I hope it was not very long before he came to his senses and realized that God was treating him with justice, but also with mercy. And he began to pray, and in his prayer he realized how close to death he really was. He says, the earth's gates shut behind me forever. He thought he was a goner. But there's something else that Jonah comes to realize, and something else that we should all realize too. Jonah realized that God is a God of justice, and yet Jonah was still alive. Jonah had a near-death experience, but God saved him from a death-death experience. He did not die. God spared his life, which means that God has something other than just justice. God also has mercy. And Jonah begins his prayer by reflecting on God's justice, all the things that Jonah deserves because of his disobedience. But then he makes a transition. Look with me at verse 6. It says, I sank to the foundations of the mountains. The earth's gates shut behind me forever. Here's the transition. Then you raised my life from the pit, Yahweh my God. As my life was fading away, I remembered Yahweh, and my prayer came to you, to your holy temple. Jonah realizes that his prayer reached the Lord. And even more than that, the Lord responded. I mean, that alone should be an encouragement to us. The Lord hears our prayers. Sometimes we pray and we pray. We don't feel like God is listening. Certainly Jonah felt like that. But when he stopped to think about it, he realized God is a God of mercy. 
God heard his prayers and responded. Jonah realizes that even though he's stuck inside a stinky, smelly fish, that's actually a good thing. And maybe you find yourself in a tough situation, a situation that seems really rough, seems like God's not really paying attention, but he is. Uh, that same theologian, Wayne Grudem, defines God's mercy as God's goodness towards those in need. When we realize our need, our, our true need, not just our wants, we begin to realize that God meets our needs out of his good character. So God's mercy shows up to us not just as God's character, his goodness toward us, but it also shows up as his actions that flow from that character. So Jonah realizes that God is a God of mercy because God heard his prayer and spared his life. There's one other thing I want us to notice about Jonah's prayer here. Jonah begins by reflecting on God's justice, as we said. But even in the midst of that, there's evidence of God's mercy. Jonah seems as if he realizes God's mercy at this turning point in verse 6, the place we just read. He says, I sank to the foundations of the mountains. The earth's gates shut behind me forever. Again, here's this transition. Then you raised my life from the pit, Yahweh my God. As my life was fading away, I remembered Yahweh, and my prayer came to you, to your holy temple. See, even in that earlier part of his prayer, we can see God's mercy. Look at verse 4. Back at verse 4, Jonah says, I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look once more toward your holy temple. See, Jonah's been cast out to sea. He thinks he's all alone, away from God. But even in that, there's just a, a hint of God's mercy that's shining through the darkness. God gives him the ability to look to God maybe just one more time, one last time. And for Jonah in the Old Testament, God's dwelling place was in the temple, so that's where Jonah's mind goes. But he gets just one little sunbeam of mercy by being able to look to God. There's another place at the beginning of this prayer we can see mercy shining through God's justice. Look at verse 2. He says, I called to Yahweh in my distress, and he answered me. I cried out for help from deep inside Sheol. You heard my voice. Jonah cries out to Yahweh, and the good news again is that Yahweh hears. God responds to prayers. And then the typical pattern for Hebrew poetry, this idea is repeated in the next two lines. Jonah says again, he cried out for help from deep inside Sheol, from the grave, the very edge, the very end of the line for Jonah. He was desperate. And in that last breath, that final desperate prayer, God heard him. Mercy. So even in the, the judgment part of this prayer, the justice part, there's still beams of mercy. God is full of justice but he's also full of goodness towards those in need. Some of you may know our missionaries who are serving in Southeast Asia. We don't like to say specifically where they are. We've got to be careful not to mention their names because they're in a place where it's actually illegal to be a missionary. So we try to protect their identity. But a lot of you know who I'm talking about. If you don't know, that's okay. But one of the things they're doing is they're translating the Bible into a local language, a language that doesn't currently have a Bible. So their process is they meet, they interact with local people, people who are native speakers of the language, and then those people will partner with them to help them in the translation work. So the process of translation becomes a bit of a learning experience for those native speakers. Well, the place where they're in is largely Muslim. That's the dominant religion. And the first book they translated is, is the book right here, Jonah. That's where they started. And that's on purpose because it's a story that actually appears in the Quran, the holy book of Islam. So these native speakers will be at least familiar with the story, although the details of the story in the Quran are a bit different than, than what we have here. And I mention this because, first, it's an awesome answer to prayer. 
they've begun on this translation work. But I also mention it because Islam has a fundamental problem that this book of Jonah actually helps to bring to the surface. The God of Islam, as you may know, is Allah. He's different from Yahweh, the one true God. Allah and Yahweh have some similarities, which is why some people are willing to say, oh, all religions point to the same God. That's not true, as I'll explain in just a minute. But for Muslims, Allah is their God. And Allah is often referred to as the merciful one. You hear that a lot. Just like we see in this book of Jonah, God is a God of mercy. But as we said, God is also a God of justice. See, Yahweh, he's fully merciful and fully just. And Muslims would say that's true for Allah. He's a God of justice, but he's also the merciful one. But this is a fundamental problem for Allah, not for Yahweh. Because for Yahweh, the one true God, he could be fully merciful because his justice has been fully satisfied. Yahweh can show mercy to people like Jonah or people like you and me. Yahweh can give us mercy, not giving us what we deserve, because his justice has been satisfied. Because the one true God is not just God the Father, but also God the Son, Jesus. And his justice has been satisfied by Jesus. Jesus' death on the cross paid the punishment for our sins in full. Jesus' final words on the cross were, it is finished, paid in full. God's justice is satisfied. So he can provide mercy and forgiveness to people. Well, Allah has a problem. Allah is, according to Islam, only one God, not three in one. And one God alone can be either just or merciful, but not both. Only our triune God can be both merciful and just without violating himself, his own nature. It's a fundamental problem with Islam. And it's these qualities of God that Jonah is reflecting on as he prays. So now we transition to Jonah's response. He's reflected on God's good and right judgment. He's entrusted himself to God's mercy. He has goodness towards those in need, and, and God has responded. So let's keep reading the prayer to see how Jonah responds. Verse 8 says this, Those who cherish worthless idols abandon their faithful love. But as for me, I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. So Jonah responds with thanksgiving. He responds to God with worship, even from the edge of death, even as he's still stuck in a fish, he responds with thanksgiving. He realizes that he has not gotten all the justice he deserves. He realizes he's been given mercy that he doesn't deserve, and he's grateful. And Jonah uses a word in this prayer. It's a word that shows up all over the Old Testament. It's a, it's a beautiful word, a beautiful concept. Jonah says in verse 8, those who cherish worthless idols abandon their faithful love. And that phrase, faithful love, it translates this word hesed in Hebrew, hesed. And it means just what it says here, faithful love. Sometimes uh, it's translated as steadfast love or, or covenant love. It's this love that God has that doesn't quit on people. It's God's love that's not dependent upon our actions, trying to earn his love. It's just his love, faithfully given, because he is faithful. His love doesn't waver or vary depending on how good we are. It's a beautiful truth about God. He's faithful, and he loves us with a faithful love. So Jonah recognizes that, and he responds with thanksgiving. There's one more section of this prayer, one more way that Jonah responds. Look at the end of the prayer, verse 9. But as for me, I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. I will fulfill what I have vowed. 
I have an app on my phone. It's an app called If This Then That. It's a, it's a simple app you can use to set up all kinds of things. If this thing happens, then do that. So like if I take a photo, save it to this place, for example. Or if it's raining outside, remind me to grab my umbrella before I leave the house. It does all kinds of things. If this, then that. And in the world of computer programming, if-then statements are pretty common. At least that's what I'm told. I'm not a programmer. But if this happens, then respond like that. Well, for Jonah, he responds to God with an if-then attitude. If God is merciful to me, I will thank him. That's what we saw in the last section. But here at the very end of verse 9, Jonah has one more response. He responds to God's mercy with obedience. He tells Yahweh that he will fulfill what he has vowed. And in fact, he does just that. The beginning of the next chapter, after Jonah gets out of the fish, the story tells us Jonah got up and went to Nineveh, according to the Lord's command. So Jonah's final response to God's mercy is obedience. And I can imagine, I don't know if this is true, but I can imagine God had this fish swimming around in circles. As Jonah learned all this stuff, as Jonah prayed, this fish was just killing time, waiting for Jonah to get his life figured out. And as soon as Jonah responds with obedience, I can imagine God said, Okay, and this fish swam straight away to the shore to get ready to spit Jonah out. I don't know. Now, don't judge me for what I'm about to tell you, but there's this TV show that I've watched occasionally, once at least. It's called Tidying Up with Marie Kondo. The premise of the show is very, very simple. During the program, the host and her team tackle all the clutter in a person's home. The family leaves the house, the team comes in, they build new shelves or storage for all the things that are strewn across the floors. This professional organizer begins to create a system for filing and storing important papers and supplies. They, they clean up and they sell some clutter. They can use the proceeds to organize the family's home. It's this big project. It starts with big mess and ends with a clean, organized, peaceful home. And in the final few minutes of the program, the owners come back to their home. They find everything in its place, a completely organized, gorgeously put together, squeaky clean home. It's finally rid of all the things that weighed it down. And sometimes the people laugh in shock. Sometimes they cry in relief and gratitude. But they're always stunned to see the total transformation that has taken place. And the host of the show never leaves them without addressing something important. Uh, something important, the, the, the upkeep of all the work. She tells the family that her team is leaving, and now it's up to you to choose to live differently than they lived before. No more hoarding, no more laziness. They have to do the work of cleaning, organizing, maintaining their home if they want to continue to live in peace. They have to choose to live differently. And that same truth is true for Jonah. After his own near-death experience, he has to choose to live differently. He responds with obedience. And that same truth is also true for us. Once we've come face to face with God's great justice and his great mercy, we need to respond on our own. And what should our response be? Ultimately, the same as Jonah's. We should respond with thanksgiving, but also with obedience. So let's understand what that looks like for us. First, thanksgiving. When we understand the mercy God has given us, when we fully understand the great cost of that mercy, the cost to Jesus, and our response should be one of thankfulness. God has loved us with a faithful love, just like Jonah mentions. And it's because it's a merciful love, it doesn't ask anything of us. We don't have to give God back anything. We could just respond with gratitude, with thanksgiving. Our other response should be obedience. Just like Jonah, we should respond to God with obedience. The final verse of this chapter, chapter 2, it's an act of mercy that's ultimately a call 
to mission, to obedience. Verse says, Then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. It's an act of mercy, because Jonah is rescued from the fish, he's restored to his life, and it's a call to obedience on mission, because Jonah has the choice to get up and go to Nineveh, just as the Lord commanded him. Well, like we said last week, we have that same call, to get up and go to respond to God with obedience. There's so many gospel opportunities right here in our valley, even more than we can imagine, at least 57,000 of them. And we've been given an act of mercy. Just like Jonah, we've been spit out of our church facility so we can get up and go and engage our world. It's really an act of mercy, and it's a call to mission. And again, God gives us mercy, not because he expects us to pay him back. No, no, no. He gives us mercy. He expects nothing in return. But we respond with thanksgiving, which should ultimately show up in our lives as obedience, living with gratitude for all that God has done for us. So if you're hesitant to get up and go, if you're resistant to God's call in your own life, then it's quite likely that you need to really come to grips with what God has done for you. Let his work on your behalf really drive you to thankfulness and obedience. Now, you can't see the sermon notes that I prepared unless you're using the Trinity app, but in your sermon notes, the last section titled Our Response uh, has four blanks, uh, four responses. So we mentioned thanksgiving, simply expressing our thankfulness for the work Christ has done on our behalf, and we mentioned obedience, our response that gives us that get up and go that we need. But there's two others there. As we get up and go, we're being sent as ambassadors, representing God to the world. And that means we go bringing justice and mercy to the world, meeting needs of people who are in need. We respond with justice and mercy because we're representing God to the world. Those are our two other responses. We are the, the city on a hill. We're the salt and light. The way we represent Him is to represent His justice and His mercy. We exercise justice in every sphere of our life as an act of faith that God is going to restore creation one day. We know that one day when Christ returns, God is bringing perfect justice into the world. But in the meantime, we're ambassadors of the kingdom, bringing his justice to those who need it right now. And we also respond with mercy, giving away God's goodness for those in need. I think our mission is summed up really well in this quote I came across from a theologian named Maxie Birch. He says this, The church bears witness to the fact that the final word on justice has been spoken. The final word is that God, the just judge, has in his justice pronounced mercy. Ultimately, the way we represent God's justice and mercy is by pointing people to the gospel. That's the place where God's justice and mercy are most on display. God the Father justly punishing sin that deserves death, while at the same time God the Son mercifully giving us what we need in a Savior, taking the punishment that our sins deserved. So as we share the gospel, we share the very heart of who God is and what he's done for us in Jesus. As we end our time, I want us to do something that if we were all gathered together, it would be a little weird. But since you're just watching with your family or your small group, then it won't be uncomfortable for you at all. I want us to end with a prayer, but I want us to pray with open hands. In fact, throughout the New Testament, this is the way that people would often pray, with their, their heads pointed up and their, their uh, hands opened up to heaven. And, and praying with your hands up is a way for you to receive from God what He gives. And for us... Today, I want us to be willing to receive from God His justice. 
If we have sin that needs to be addressed, we want God to make us aware of that. Give us what we need. In the same way, we want to receive God's mercy. We want to take the time to recognize His goodness to us, His faithful love that gives us what we don't deserve. So as we pray with open hands, we respond to God with thanksgiving, thanking Him for all that He's given us, all that He's done, all He's going to continue to do. And finally, we want to commit ourselves to obedience, being willing to accept from God what he wants us to do and where he wants us to go. So I'm going to give you a moment to pray alone or in your groups, and then I'll, I'll pray uh, as well. So I'm just going to give you a moment to pray with open hands, and then I'll close us. Go ahead. Let me pray for us. God, we do accept what you give us. We have open hands and an open heart, knowing that you are a God who is faithful in your love. You're a God who is fully just. You give us uh, right. You do things that are right. And sometimes that means uh, uh, discomfort for us or even pain or, or inconvenience. And yet we want to trust you to do what's right. We want to be ambassadors of your justice to the world. And we thank you for the mercy that you give us, Lord, the mercy especially of the gospel, your son dying on the cross, paying the punishment that our sins deserve. We earned that punishment, and you took it. And a great act of mercy, you've given us uh, goodness, and we praise you for that. And we pray with thanksgiving, not just for saving us, that gift of salvation, but for all the rich blessings that you've given us, Lord. We want to be... Uh, uh, thankful for all that you've done for us. And, and finally, Lord, we want to pray with open hands as an act of obedience to you. Fill our hands with your work, with your will. We, we have the desire to get up and go, and we want you to, to give us what we need, to tell us what we need to, to, to go and to serve your will. And we pray all these things in the name of your, your just and merciful Son, Jesus. Amen. Well, hey, I am so glad to be able to continue to share with you and use this technology to uh, communicate with you. And before you hit pause, before you take me out of your house, out of your, kick me out of your TV or whatever, I do want to share just a couple of announcements. So I know not everybody reads the worship folder every week, but this week you get to because I'm going to share it with you. So um the first thing that's on here, our baptism class was supposed to be uh, today, the 15th. It's not, so we're going to have to reschedule that. But on the 22nd, we do have a, a prayer walk. And I think, um, you know, stay tuned, but I think we can still do that. It's a great, great chance, especially in light of, of all that's going on, a chance for us to just gather in small groups, not as a one big group, in small groups and, and, and um Pray in our valley. So if you're interested in that, stay tuned and we'll communicate that out to you. But that's going to be, we'll meet together briefly outside at the church at 2 o'clock on the 22nd and we'll depart in small groups from there to go pray in different neighborhoods. So that's coming up. Um, this next announcement is another fluid situation, but we, we've got some baby dedications coming up. Uh, we want to do that on April 5th. And uh, so we want you to be able to sign up for that. You can do that on our website if you want. And um, 
you know, I don't know if we're going to have a meeting April 5th, but either way, we'll find some kind of a way to honor you who are parents who want to dedicate your babies. So uh, that's coming up. Keep uh, keep praying about that. Um, and I think that's all we've got. Don't forget, uh, you've got the chance to give your offering. You know, that's uh, an act of worship as well. And so you can do that. And finally, let me just say, if there's anything that we can do, any way that we can hear from you, then let us do that. You can always email. Uh, you can find email addresses on the church website, all that kind of stuff. And, man, we'd love to be able to stay in contact. Of course, you can call us during the week as well. Uh, God bless you. Uh, let's keep uh, staying faithful and staying safe. Let's keep washing our hands and washing feet and just be the kind of church that God wants for our valley.